When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Sasha. And I'm Eben Novi Williams, and this is the $1.5 billion MLS franchise sports business podcast, The Sportacast. Eben, you're looking very Tour de France. Very, you, you got your, you, you put it on. You're the guy that you know throws on the TV on the wall there, and yeah, you've got the Tour de France. We had the big debate the other day, and explain to me again. I'm inspired. Y- you're saying there's no way they can keep the spectators from like knocking down 50 people and killing people, you know, <laughs> jumping out in front of bicycles. It's just stupidity. I'm like, fine. Just give me the. Give me the leader and the first peloton and where the couple of motorcycles are like maybe 10 feet ahead of them clearing the way. I just can't have people jumping in front of the riders. I just can't have it. You're, you're not wrong. It's, it's one of the craziest things about professional cycling when people who are not fans watch it. And it obviously part of it makes sense, Scott. They're stretched over every stage is 200 mile, a little under 200 miles worth of road. And the riders themselves can be stretched over 25 different groups of Two or three riders sometimes, especially when they're going uphill. It's just a it's it's a logistical nightmare. That, from what I understand, French authorities they they fine uh, a, a decent chunk of money and any spectator that makes contact with with riders. But again, I think in the same way that like the Boston Marathon can't barricade twenty six miles of road around uh, around the Boston area. The French, the organizers just can't barricade 150 miles worth of road every day for three straight weeks I across Paris. Get it. I get I mean, yeah. we live in a world where, you know, reality programming called jackass sells. So I assume people are going to try and do things that are, to you and I, we're like, what, what are you thinking? The, um, the thing that I always think about now that sports betting obviously is, is way more prevalent and I don't, yeah, I, I don't actually take know. out the leader. Yeah. If someone has a, a, a big chunk of money on the leader, you can push the guy off his bike. You can yeah. throw a stick into his spokes. There, there's a lot of things you can do to sabotage uh, the actual results. And I'm sure ASO, which organizes the race, has has some kind of a plan for what what it would do if that were to ever happen in earnest in, in modern times. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy how close spectators with flares and with uh, waving objects in the air with flags uh, yeah, it's like are a able cartoon. to get right, I can see right the flag draping over somebody's face and they can't see where they're going it you, just... you should see in, in the race today we're recording this on Wednesday um, the actual leader the guy who's going to win the tour uh, the car in front of him got caught in a mass of spectators he had to like kind of shuffle off his bike for a second and then when he got back on his bike spectators essentially grabbed him by the back. And started sprinting with him uphill to give him like a, a head start speed-wise to get him back up to speed. Um, and I'm sure if you're a rider, I'm sure you hate that. I'm sure it's, you're yes. terrified every time every time someone touches you uh, that that something could go awry. All right, let's get back to the uh, the task at hand. You said the $1.5 billion, what was it? What, what was the finish MLS there? franchise. MLS yeah. franchise. All right, so we're gonna, can we commit a cardinal sin right now? Yes. 
All right, good. Always. Because we're re- we, uh, just full transparency and disclosure. We're recording, like you said, Wednesday afternoon. Let me look at my watch. Uh, 2.56 p.m. Eastern time. However, I'm going to predict that Leo Messi <laughs> will at some point take the field tonight. Hmm. What do you think? That's Leo bold. taking the field? <laughs> uh, I I would be skeptical of that, but um, that he's not even going to take the field at all. Somehow we're not going to see him at all. I mean, <laughs> he's not an all star. He's just going to wave from the box. He's I, just, I, that's I, and is he even there? I don't even know if he's there, Scott. Um, but oh, that would be how does, whoa, whoa, that would be whoa, whoa. amazing. Well, all right, wait, great, great sports business discussion. Yeah, this is a good I, question. I just had this huge introduction of Leo Messi in Miami. I've got my all star game against Arsenal in DC. And you mean to tell me that I'm not going to see Leo Messi on the field tonight? That's a, It's a great question. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> How can you not? And what, other than him saying no, in what world, in what marketing world, sports, outside sports, does the biggest star, the biggest draw, the new shiny toy not get put on display? I'll think of a couple things. One, um... I think you you run the risk, and, and maybe this doesn't matter at all. I think you you could you could say, make an argument that MLS runs the risk of essentially uh, uh, of co opting what is a celebration of all the people that have been great in the league so far with a player who has literally never never played a second in MLS yet. Doesn't um, matter. It's and, Leo Messi. Even the se- players will want to shake his hand, and they'll be fighting to see who gets to swap a jersey. with Yeah, him. I don't think you're necessarily wrong on that. Secondly, is there a chance that Inter Miami wants the Messi's first MLS moment to be an Inter Miami moment and not a, a not if they're playing Cruz Azul in the first moment. game. There isn't. <laughs> yeah, again, I, it's, it, this is interesting. I, I had kind of assumed that th- they did this big thing, obviously in the pouring rain on on Sunday, and I kind of thought that the next time we would really see Messi, certainly in a jersey, would be would be on on Friday against Cruz Azul. But I'm okay with him sitting in the stands next to David Beckham. Just that give seems the way more likely than him being, give the being on the field. Give the cameras what they want. Yeah. You've got to get a shot of Leo somewhere in that in, in Audi Field. I know. I, yeah. I mean, the more I'm thinking about it, it certainly makes sense that at the at the biggest every every MLS owner is there for owners yes. meetings on Wednesday. Yes. Team presidents and CBOs had their meetings on Tuesday. Um, almost everyone in the MLS ecosystem, in some capacity, their yes. their biggest corporate partners, everyone is there. Uh, it, it would be a good show of face to at least have him in the in the box or sitting near near the field. But stepping foot on the field, I feel like is. Uh, that feels like a step too far. I don't mean playing. Yeah, sure. I just mean down on the field. You know, ready? I mean, if, if people are watching the video, the, the wave to the crowd, you know, just something. Let what I maybe would have done is at, at the skills competition, which was Tuesday night at Audi Field, why not? It kind of surprised people by bringing them out to, to shoot a couple balls at the uh, at the crossbar or whatever it yes, is. Biggest yeah, curve around a target and still hit the net. Yeah. Next next week, Scott. We, next time we record, uh, we will have seen obviously what happens at the All Star Game on Wednesday night. We will have seen what happens with Messi's debut on Friday night in that League's Cup match against Cruz Azul. We can maybe do a, a little bit of a debrief of, of how how we think MLS, how we think Inter Miami, how we think Adidas, how everybody kind of fared in capitalizing over the course of a week of the biggest, obviously the biggest news that's happened in MLS. Okay, I, th- I think we should launched. do that. We should take a bifurcated approach where you watch every 
inch and a minute of the coverage, and I don't, and I only follow, and I only follow it on social, and then we see, we compare notes after that. What do you think? I'll get back to you on that one. All right. All right. By the way, when you talked about debrief of where things stand, I have my two-word debrief already. Poor slam ball. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Right? I mean, but it's a great sports business story. There's it out is of a- your control, but poor slam ball. Yeah, so for folks who are, are not aware, Slam Ball, which I think a lot of listeners may, may feel a little bit nostalgic about, the, the basketball slash trampoline. Pat Croce's original Slam Ball. Yeah, the, on Spike TV, I remember, in the in the late 90s or early 2000s. Uh, they're, they're coming back. They, they have spent the last year and a half raising money, getting this league together, relaunching out of Vegas. Months ago, they picked their date, July 21st, Friday night, to be the debut return of Slam Ball. It's on one of the ESPNs. Now you can be sure they took a look at the sporting calendar and said, hey, we are wide open. 100%. And now it turns out that a pretty insignificant MLS versus Liga MX match is Leo <laughs> Messi's debut in an Inter-Miami jersey. And also the Women's World Cup schedule, Scott, popped out. And yeah. the, the U.S. team making its uh, playing its first game on Friday night uh, Eastern as well. Uh, really tough timing for Slam Ball, especially, as you're right, given the fact that I'm sure they chose this date specifically because it looked pretty empty. And now there, there's going to be so many eyeballs on social media and watching live to, to, to some other soccer matches happening around the, uh, around the globe. In a world of, of social media, great moments where the tale is often way longer than the event, I better see some guy do a triple Lindy flip, <laughs> dunk backwards over somebody else, and by the way, his body follows the ball through, through the hoop. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 would expect, um, I would expect the buzz actually to still be pretty good over the weekend. The the slam ball is just such a nostalgic thing for a certain subset of of, of people. A lot of them, obviously, are vibrant on social media. Um, I, I think the first couple of weeks are going to get a lot of, oh, this is so cool, so glad this is back. I think like all of these sports, and I would lump things like the XFL and USFL into them, it's it's what does it look like on, on the second to last weekend, right? Uh, when, when the initial buzz of, oh, my gosh, this thing is amazing, when that wears off and we're in week four, week five, or week six, um, what does that look like? And and, and those are the weeks that, that let you determine, is there a season two? Is there a season three? Is this viable? Or was this kind of a flash in the pan? So right, I'm expecting the- still some, some buzz on, on Friday and on the weekend, and then let, let, let's talk a few weeks after that. I'm afraid we may have one of those age divide questions right there where oftentimes I drop something and you didn't react at all. I didn't see anything. I'm, I'm worrying, like, did it move the needle at all? So if I say triple Lindy, does that mean anything to you? The triple Lindy? It does not. Oh, God, it hurts. What is that? Nothing. Nothing. Movie reference, the triple Lindy. Yeah. And yet the other day, when I'm sitting at the office, and I don't know what happened, but I said something like, Eben on the kick drum. Eben's on the kick drum. Oh, yeah. And you went went right in and played along. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the breakup uh, with uh, Jenny Anderson and Vince Vaughn. Oh, you knew that right away, but you don't know the triple Lindy. Yeah, it's an age thing. Okay. What's the the triple Lindy? I'm going to let you Google it, man. I I, I want you to totally enjoy the triple Lindy. All right. I will do that. I'll even make (laughs) it easy for you. Do triple Lindy Rodney Dangerfield. Okay. I will do that. All right, now tell me about your story, please. Oh, no, we weren't done. I was going to go on to Donald Trump and golf, but we, we didn't even really talk about MLS and the $1.5 billion valuation prediction by Jorge Mas. Um, yeah, what do you what, make of that? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> hmm. I'm, I'm, I, I guarantee, of course, they get a nice bump, but your, your media is your media. That's done. 
Like that contract is done. There ain't no more huge media bump coming out of Messi joining. They have the stadium project and real estate. A sponsorship will certainly go up considerably. There'll be merch. I get it. I'm not sure how I'm going to get to 1.5 billion. And then I ask, and and it was funny because like different constituents of the league were talking about it in different ways. Where the, Jorge Mas said that, and of course Jorge's one of the owners with David Beckham. And then Don Garber was asked about sovereign wealth, and he said, "Yeah, well, you know, now we're going to consider sovereign wealth." Uh, I mean, no, no, no kidding. You know, when yeah. you have the other major leagues uh, uh, approving it, except for the NFL, but when you have the NBA and the NHL accepting sovereign wealth, it's not a surprise that the MLS would look at it. The question is, are are the valuations so high where you need to incorporate alternate sources of funding, and then? Is MLS at a point, did you miss the boat? If I have to buy a team now for a billion and a half, did I miss the boat on MLS? Or is there still such exponential growth and elasticity there that I want to get in while I still can? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot there. I, I million think, questions. Yeah, there's a, a, a lot. So, so Jorge Moss says that he thinks in, in the next year, Inter-Miami could be worth 1.3 to 1.5 billion. We value the club a little under 600 million, Scott. Yeah, so we're talking more about than, More than doubling. Yeah. Um, and, and you and I talked last our last episode about Messi is going to increase eyeballs on Inter-Miami, more fans, more people watching. When he's done playing in, if it's two years, if it's three years, if it's four years, I, I I don't think it'll be too much more than four at a maximum. How many of those people remain fans, or how many of them say, okay, the guy I like is gone, and 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 I'm no longer a fan. Yeah, my so, new favorite player plays for Columbus or plays for LA. Exactly. Right? So, so the the franchise value doubling overnight or in the next twelve months that 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 seems like a lot to me. One thing I am thinking about with this number, Scott. The the way that 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 Inter Miami is compensating Leo is in cash and in equity, and and we understand from people we've talked to that the the full two and a half year initial deal is going to be worth about one hundred and fifty million dollars. Let's say, and, and this would be a bad deal for Leo, but let's just say they said, okay, with you here, the team's worth one point five billion dollars. We're going to give you ten percent of the team. Ten percent of the club just on that value. That's your hundred fifty, yeah. right? Yeah, that, I'm going to say there you are. It's easy that's easy. That's nothing out of Jorge Moss's pocket. That's nothing out of David Beckham's pocket. I'm sure he's getting cash salary as well. I'm just saying that one of the mysteries about the way Leo's being compensated is how much equity he's getting and where do they value the equity in the team as part of that. Compensation package, and right. it doesn't seem crazy to me that 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 they could have offered him five to ten ten million ten percent of the team at a valuation in or around or maybe above a billion. I, who knows, right? We we I have not seen there's pre the actual there's pre money valuations like that's we that's those things. So this time it would it would not be a pre money valuation to be a pre messy valuation. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, so I, I, one of the things I am thinking about when he talks about the valuation of the club is is what is the valuation of the club in Messi's equity agreement? Because because I, I do think a chunk of what he's making is going to be in that in that equity piece. One other thing he said, Scott, which jumped out to me. This is an interview he did with. CNBC. Um, he said that in the next three to five years, his goal is for MLS to be competing with uh, EPL. So to be competing with the, the best, highest uh, talent-wise, and, and, and from a commercial standpoint, the, the, the best and most valuable soccer league in the world, 
Uh, Don Garber has has set similar goals in the past about long-term attempts to be one of the best leagues in the world. It has not come to fruition quite yet. I think you can make an argument that Messi maybe jump-starts or accelerates some of those things, but I was surprised. It, uh, another lofty thing that Jorge Mas said was was that this league is could be on trajectory to, to be that good in three to five years. Yeah, I'm not sure about three to five years when you've still got players like Kareem Benzema saying, I want to go play in Al Nasser. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and Ronaldo was asked about joining Messi and Inter Miami. Yeah. And he's like, no, I think I'm done. I'm washed up with the European clubs, <laughs> but I'd rather play here. It's better competition than the U.S. League. I'm here for the Saudi League versus yeah. MLS. Uh, yeah. <laughs> famous players throwing barbs at one another. I am I'm 100% here for uh, the, these two leagues, both trying to acquire better talent and, and raise their international profile. I'm here for the rivalry. I'm here to see who the new owners are in MLS. That's what I'm here for. I want to see whoever's added, and you've got some expansion coming up. You know, who Who's going to get... Some, some teams and who's going to buy the next teams. What, what's that next generation look like? Because that's going to determine, in my estimation, that'll be a big piece in helping to determine where the league's fortunes go. Uh, these are better be deep pocketed folks with operational expertise uh, and a real desire to, to grow this over the long term. You know, it can't just be a PE investment where we're looking three to seven years. What's my flip? You know, how do I get out? The, these are going to have to be people who are, who are vested in a long term growth of the league and the of the valuation of their assets. So you want people, I, I'm curious to see who that is. You want people like Jorge Mas, right, who who in the past year decided that he was going to shatter the record for what any MLS team has ever played anybody to get the most famous or the second most famous yeah. athlete in the world to come to MLS. It's a, it's a huge gamble. As we said, $150 million pay package is a lot of money. And, and I think he's and liking he, this more than the Marlins. He's glad he didn't get the Marlins. I'd rather have him to Miami. I, I think in, <laughs> there's a chance that he would say, at least right now, he, he likes he likes what he's doing this way, right? $150 million for compensation over three years for a Marlins player is a lot, right? But it's it's not it's not in- incomprehensible, obviously. Um Chohei Otani's going to get more than that, but in in MLS it got you the most valuable soccer player in the world. So, yeah, I think we're we're going to see in, in in a few years whether his lofty projections are right, whether he was uh maybe his eyes were were a little big or maybe the opposite. Maybe he's underselling just how big a deal this is going to be for him and for the league as a whole. I, I think we have a little P.T. Barnum here, I, and I understand that there, there's certainly excitement, and, and I, would not, uh, I would not come down too hard on somebody being hyperbolic in, in sort of like the all-around way they're describing what's going on. And again, maybe he's right. Maybe I'm an idiot. Yeah. And, you know, there's certainly lots of people who probably put me in that corner. That's fine. Um, but to have the franchise uh, more than double just based on the arrival of one player when the – again, if – if there was a media deal to be redone this year, or, you know, coming into the final year of a media deal, and there was just bidders everywhere in the streaming services and, and over the air and cable, and uh, that would be one thing, but that's not the case. You're locked in for 10 years. Um, Agreed. And I really want to see those subscriber numbers. On the separate note, uh, speaking of numbers, tell me you and Daniel Libet teamed up to write about Donald Trump and golf. I love it. I do, this is one of my favorite things when I'm not involved in a story at all at Sportico and I'm like, 
and I usually hear everything that's going on. I don't, you know, maybe I was just zeroed in on something else. I don't know. And then all of a sudden I see something pop up and I'm like, oh, what's this? <laughs> and I read it. I'm like, oh, I like, you know, you know me, I love disclosure forms. So tell me about what you and Daniel found out about Donald Trump and golf. Because Donald Trump is, is now a presidential candidate. Once again, he is now subject to uh, income disclosure forms and, and his most recent one dropped. Tax returns. Um, no, in terms of disclosure. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll do this whole conversation under the, the grain of salt that is this is Donald Trump self-reporting his own numbers. And uh, there, there, there's certainly ample evidence that, that you should take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. Um, but Donald Trump reports itemized numbers, income he gets from good. all of his assets, including 17 golf courses, Scott, that he either owns or licenses around the world. And in the past five years, so we took the numbers pre-pandemic versus right now, essentially all of those golf courses are making significantly more money, in some cases two or more X doubling uh, what they were making. And it, maybe I shouldn't say what they were making, what they were paying Donald Trump um, w- 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 was up two to three X, depending on the course. Are these so, backloaded deals? And do we have, we have no idea why it goes up. This yeah, is just so, pure speculation so unless they want to address a it. A lot of it is speculation. And, and there, there's certainly a lot that's gone on at his courses. PGA tour backed out of a bunch of events that were going to be there. Uh, the Turnberry, which is a Scotland course is no longer in the rotation for the British open. Live golf is playing events at, at courses of his twice on the calendar last year, three times on the calendar this year, the, the pandemic saw golf participation jump as well. So I think the industry as a whole is getting better. I think there's a lot of different, different levers here in terms of possible reasons why Trump's golf business is more lucrative for him than, than, than it was five years ago when he was president. Um, but I had just forgotten, Scott, how, how important golf is to his personal finances. This is, yeah. we added up the 17 courses. There's a couple hotels in those numbers, but it's, it's, it's around $550 million. Um, he reported total assets of, of like $1.1 billion, or, or total income of $1.1 billion. The golf is essentially half of, half. of Donald Trump's portfolio. Uh, and I think that would surprise some golf fans, and I think it would surprise some, some non-sports fans as well. But golf is being good to Donald Trump right now, according to Donald Trump, I think is that Absolutely, headline. and Dan Snyder is going to have some time to play a little golf coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as we record, NFL owners uh, kind of descending on their their meeting site. Uh, I believe it's what, Minneapolis? Is that where we're getting together? Minneapolis? Right, yeah. Where... Uh, uh, where I guess when this airs, I can say later today, <laughs> owners will likely, <laughs> of oh, course, <laughs> approve the sale of the commanders from Dan Snyder to the group led by Josh Harris and Mitch Rails. Um, this, uh, I, I love this story. It can't, be, it can't be in the day after that. Josh will close the deal so the, the money will actually be wired and then... There's nothing but a handshake and the, uh, I guess we can call it the uh, year one AD after Dan, right? Yeah, and I, and I wonder if this deal, for if you're a Commanders fan, absolutely, this is, you've been waiting for this moment, I think, for, for, for maybe even more than a decade at this point. I do wonder if we're going to look back on this deal specifically, Scott, and, and, and see it was, the, it was the thing that finally broke the NFL um, being so restrictive about who can buy in. It's it's no mystery that Josh Harris and Mitch Rails and, and this whole group, it's a big group, a lot of LPs. They took on a lot of debt. They tried to get private equity involved. The league and balked And by the way, it. it's not structured the way they would have wanted. The NFL 
made them go back and change certain things. It, exactly. And, and and in the background of all this is 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 that the NFL, we talk about it on the show a lot, does not allow private equity investors. It has stricter debt limits than other leagues. It has a strict number of, of LPs that can be in, in, in your in your group. They have they have structured it so that these teams are very difficult to buy. The general partner has to put down a, a considerable 30, amount. Thirty percent. Thirty percent. They've right. structured it so it's very hard to buy and, and, and to buy it you have to be a very rich individual. And as as teams Rocket in value. This is a record. No, no, no sports team in history has ever sold for six billion dollars. We're about to hit that. Paging about Man to United. That. Um, it does make me make me wonder if the next time an NFL team goes for sale, if it's the Seahawks and Bezos is interested. I think that's a caveat outside of this conversation. But yeah, do we, ha- we say, have the little asterisk in everything we say. If Seattle, 100%. none of this applies. Yeah, if, if there's a if there's a really rich guy like Bezos that's going to pay cash for the next one, it doesn't apply. But let's just say the next team that hits hits the market is not the Seahawks. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if, if the next transaction in the NFL happens under very different rules, maybe closer to the rules that we've seen in other leagues like the NBA and, and Major League Baseball. I wouldn't be shocked if that happens um, as opposed to the rules that, that, that were in place right now. Let's have some fun, though. Be, remember, this was a bit of a frothy sale because the team, in essence, you know, it wasn't taken from him. But frothy. Dan, Dan was pretty much you know, forced to sell, right? Yeah. Forced to sell the team. Great. So nobody was really expecting it to the market. So you get that irrational exuberance, if you will. Then you get the froth. All right. That's one. Two, this team does come with the component of a real estate possibility. They want a new stadium. They need a new stadium. Uh, Take Dan out of the equation. Likely they will get a new stadium, whether it's public-private, private, who knows, but... Uh, football teams generally get uh, the the new facilities that they desire. I don't see Josh threatening to move them out of the area. For, for all, you know, that, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Thought they hated that, the last guy. Yeah, yeah, that ain't ha- exactly. Want to be this. more hated than the, bring back Dan. Bring back Dan. Uh, I don't see that happening. So, the, my question to you is. Let I mean, pick a team. Let's go to the team that was sold right before, just because it's fun. We pick them at it. Let's say David Tepper decides, you know what? I've had enough of this. I'm not winning. Um, I'm, I'm busy. I'm frustrated, whatever. I think all those things are true. I'm oh, yeah. going to sell the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. All right. All of a sudden just puts out a statement. It hits Twitter. The big buzz NFL rich guys are like, oh, my God. Uh, do you think it hits $6 billion? No. No. I don't, I don't either. No. Okay, the so Panthers. No, I uh, look. We talked about this last week. The, 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 we did. The I, I purge. I purge our conversation. Well, we just talked about how files. how big a, a commercial asset the Commanders once were and probably could be again with an owner that people liked. Um, so, so no, I think that, that there are teams I think that could sell for six billion dollars tomorrow for yes. sure. I just don't think the Panthers are one of them. Right. Um, so part of this, I do think, is is NFL valuations are soaring. And the other part is that we've never, or at least not in the past decade or two decades, we've never had a team this valuable hit the market. The Rams were probably the last one when Stan Kroenke bought the Rams. We just haven't had a, a top tier, top top 10% of the league valuated team hit the market in the way that, that this one did. Just for fun. Come on, Jerry Jones. Let's say you want to sell the Cowboys just, just so we can have some fun. Who are the bidders? How high does it go? <laughs> what are we talking about here? I, I need to see. Uh, that that sells for more than $6 billion. <laughs> Yeah, that definitely sells for more than $6 billion. Jerry's yeah. estimates are like, what, 12? Doesn't he say 12 and he's still not selling? Every time, I feel like every time it comes up, he tosses out a bigger number, yeah. 
All right, we talked about it, but where, where do you want to end this thing? We had a bunch of things Let's to talk, talk about. Women's Pick, World Cup, Scott. You want Let's, to talk uh, WWC, Women's World Cup st- starting? Okay, you said the, off women, in the, the next US team hours. starts Friday, right? Yeah. Um, Sold yeah, for, separately for the first time. And for folks who are really interested, the when Scott was was out a few weeks ago, Emily Karen sat in for him, and 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 a, we did a really good full breakdown of of the the business preview of the Women's World Cup. Um, but yeah, that's one of the big things, Scott. The FIFA has decided or, or decided a while ago to to finally start to separate the commercial rights from the Women's World Cup from the Men's World Cup. There's places around the world where, for the first time, TV and networks paid specifically for the women as opposed for paying for a bigger package that included the men and the women. Um, FIFA's trying to make this tournament stand on its own two feet. And uh, I, I, as a journalist, right, I, I'm really interested to see what that how that bears out. Mm-hmm. This idea that, that, that women's sports uh, just needs a little bit more investment, needs to be separated from the men's sports to get a good sense of, of the scale of the treated, audience, yeah, the scale of the It needs to be treated the same way. That means network, television, prime 100%. times, all the good things. So FIFA's getting closer to that. That, I think, is a, is a really big thing. Another thing that, that Emily talked about, which uh, there's some news on recently, FIFA announced uh, a, a while ago that they was raising the, the money that it was going to be given to every woman that participates or competes at the at the World Cup. Guaranteed minimum salary of $30,000. Um, when it made that announcement, it was very light on the details of how it was going to get that money to the, the players. Still um, light on that. Which is important because the FIFA gives the money to the federations and then the... The, the 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 governing body for soccer in that country is supposed to give it to the, the the athletes and historically those governing bodies have done a really bad job of paying the women what they have been paid by FIFA to pay the women and Gianni Infantino was asked directly about this this week and he again reiterated that despite the fact that FIFA made a huge deal about a, a minimum salary for every woman completing in this World Cup it is not guaranteeing that any of the women get that minimum salary and it is instead imploring again its its governing bodies to do the right thing with the money that it's given and and I think uh, this is part of a much broader topic Scott but U.S. women obviously had a very 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 ugly and and very, very public legal fight with U.S. soccer over the past half decade about pay. The Canadian team, another one of the the, the favorites in the tournament, also having this fight. The French and the Spanish teams are revolting against their coaches. There are women that are not playing. Norway, one of the best players in the world, Ada Hegerberg, did not play in this World Cup four years ago um, because she did not feel like the Norwegian women were compensated the way that they should be. There is going to be, I think, so much, and rightfully so, so much during this tournament about the gains that have been gotten for for equality in the women's world cup and also the the fight that a lot of governing bodies are going through right now to ensure that they get it in the future so it seems to me that uh, i'm seeing a pattern of behavior here and remember remember this a very smart history teacher of mine once said and you've probably heard the phrase that history repeats itself I have. right yeah, and that I remember, I just this one stuck with me. My professor hated that history, left of its own volition, does not repeat itself. There would be a certain randomness. There would be this. What does repeat itself? Patterns of human behavior. Hmm. Human human behavior repeats itself, and of course, that is what determines our history. So I just always remembered it. Tuck it away. History itself is left alone does not repeat itself. We act upon it. We are the outside force that acts upon (laughs) whatever it may be to create pretty much what we're seeing over and over again. 
So. Well, here, here's hoping that Team USA repeats itself. Would be the first three three time uh, threepeat in women's World Cup history if they can uh, if they can win this tournament down in Australia and New Zealand in the next few weeks. All right, we'll check in next week. Go ahead and close it out. You love to do it so much. <laughs> he is Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. I am Evan Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. The show is produced by Keith Zanardi and Aaron Greenewald. Thank you very much to Aaron and Keith. Sportico's digital media editor, Cora Veltman, would like you to follow the show at Sportacast, which is the hub of the Sportico Media Network.